0: Thank you for tuning in to the WHAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing.
1: Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WHAM Podcast. It's an honor to be your host, where I get to introduce listeners to some amazing women who are making a real difference. With these podcasts, you're going to get to hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges they've overcome, how their backgrounds have helped to shape who they are today, and how they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. And joining me today is Rachel Liao, who is co-founder and CEO of Fuse Inventory. And we're going to get to hear all about it from Rachel directly. So Rachel, without further ado, thank you for joining our show. Thank you for having me. So Rachel, you and I have had a, in full disclosure, we've had a a conversation beforehand, but uh, (laughs) you, you have such an interesting background and I was hoping that you could just share with our listeners more about your educational background and your early influencers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, went to the school that Obama went, to, Punahou. Very, a very great school. And I ended up uh, going to Stanford for a college and majoring in East Asian studies with a minor in computer science, oh. which was basically the major without the like, thermodynamics engineering fundamental courses <laughs> um, so yeah you know early on in my life just had a variety of interests the reason why I went to Stanford was I had interest in both you know math and science as well as literature and language art and in you know the performing arts so um, just always had a wide rate of interest and after graduation I actually started my career as a software developer. But decided that I really wanted to make a physical product as well. So I actually restarted my career, started from scratch as an intern in supply chain, then worked my way up to becoming a supply chain manager at a company called KiwiCrate. Um, I think they've rebranded Kiwi Co., um, where we made arts, crafts, and science projects for children and just got to see a lot of interesting and, you know, very complicated supply chain issues that you know, I soon realized we not unique to Kiwi Co. They were, you know, things that many brands faced, and so took those learnings with me. I actually co-founded a baby brand called Parasol Co.
1: I noticed that, yeah, the softest, thinnest, softest diapers.
0: Yes. So we worked with a manufacturer in Belgium that had the latest technology to eliminate wood pulp in diapers. So they only use the super absorbent polymer. Um, and just created a better diaper experience for, you know, babies where they could have freedom of movement, extremely soft back sheets and top sheets, things like that, all with
1: beautiful millennial branding. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things I, I do know is that, you, I mean, obviously, entrepreneurship is uh, a common thread in all of your positions. But one of the things I, I loved what you were sharing with me was about, your you know, some of that must come from being part of a huge family. And you said to think big fat Greek wedding was, was really your family.
0: Yes, I have a huge family. Um my mom's side alone, I have 19 cousins. Oh my gosh. Uh,
1: so,
0: you know, um my family's, you know, we have span a wide range. I have some cousins in maybe more traditional spheres like software engineering, but I also have a cousin who's a professional golfer. Um, I have a very, very interesting family. They all have a wide range of interests as well. So it was really nice growing up in that supportive environment. You know, my parents always encouraged me to follow my passions. I think my mother wanted me to be a journalist.
1: (laughs) She did. Okay. Any any particular reason?
0: She thought, you know, she was like, you're so good at writing. You could change the world being a journalist. And I've always had a very keen interest in international relations, which is why I majored in East Asian studies. Um, you know, I really believe that this is a global world and we're all connected as human beings. Um, so I've always you know, been very, very keen to follow world news. Um, so she thought that would be a great career for me. And then I told her I would probably be like the journalist that would be like at the front of the war zones. And then she was like, hmm, maybe.
1: And your dad
0: was a science professor, was he? Yes. Yeah, so my dad was a material science professor at the University of Hawaii. He does battery research, so he works in a lot of sustainable energy initiatives. He was part of the Natural Energy Institute at the University of Hawaii, um, and he does a lot of really interesting research around battery fuel cells. Research I don't purport to understand, but definitely, you know, it was really fun growing up riding electric cars to school before Tesla was even a thing. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we had this really cute three-wheeled electric car I would get to ride to school. Sometimes we'd get to ride the electric truck. <laughs> so oh it, was, it was really fun growing up and, and just being surrounded by by so many interesting influences. Well,
1: it sounds like you got a lot of the love for finance and planning from your dad. <laughs>
0: Yes. And for my mother as well, you know, she ran her own architecture firm. She was an architect. So just being able to see how small businesses operated and, and kind of those pain points up front um,
1: just really informed me as well. Yeah. And some some really strong role models. Yes. So let's let's talk about that then. So you, you know, you went from the thinnest softest diapers to fuse inventory. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs>
1: how How did that come about?
0: Yeah. Well, so... You know, I was working on Parasol and I actually built a custom inventory system because I had surveyed, you know, all the inventory systems out there uh, when I was at KiwiCo and I didn't really find anything that adapted to, you know, what I considered modern retail um, so a lot of the systems built out there were built before a time of e-commerce before this whole omni-channel concept and so the inventory was very siloed it didn't handle raw materials components and kitting well and you know a lot of these systems out there were very industry specific as well so you know there were certain ERPs specialized in apparel certain ones specialized in personal care but you know especially for modern brands they're starting to move into you know all sorts of categories and For a brand like KiwiCo, where we were doing things like wood and plastic injection molding and paper and personal care for the soap in your science project, (laughs) it really, you know, there wasn't a one size fits all product. And so I really thought about how can I create something that, you know, adapts to modern business models, adapts to modern supply chains, and is really flexible and can be used by many industries. Um, And that's kind of the inspiration behind Fuse. Um, So I actually left Parasol to go to law school. I went to UCLA School of Law and just kind of sat on the idea for a while. And then I, over winter break, flew up to the Bay Area and chatted over it with my co-founder, Bridget. And she was like, let's do this. And so I ended up working on it part time during my second semester. And in the summer, we both went full time. She quit her job at Google and decided to make Fuse a reality because you you know we talk to so many brands and each one of them they they say the same thing over and over again you know it's difficult to have visibility into your inventory it's difficult to know where everything is is it arriving on time do I have enough do I have too little so you know that was really the premise behind Fuse was like let's create something that works for a wide variety of industries for modern omni-channel brands that can react super quickly give them full visibility so that. Rather than wrangling spreadsheets, which is kind of the the status quo right now, they can be managing their inventory in a modern cloud-based software. They can be spending time doing more strategic decision-making based on data rather than trying to guess based off of, you know, a wild tangle of spreadsheets that is what everyone else is doing right now.
1: And, And it's shocking how many companies, I mean, major, you know, Fortune 50 companies that are still using, you know, Excel spreadsheets.
0: Yeah, you know, we've talked to planners at, you know, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, Macy's, The Gap, and then we've talked to planners and smaller brands and direct to consumer brands and and all of them are doing it in spreadsheets. You know, even if they do have one of the legacy systems, they export it into spreadsheets and then they force the system to look like their spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> obviously not an ideal way
1: to be forecasting and planning your inventory. Exactly let's can you share some examples you know i know you're working with a lot of major brands but maybe you could share some examples of how you've helped companies and how what they were like before and what they're like now having worked with Fuse. yeah so we work with a number of really great brands
0: examples include glossier snow which makes home goods True Botanicals, they do skincare. Saludos, a shoe company. Margot New York, they are also a shoe company. So um, I can talk about a couple examples of how we help them. Since I mentioned Margot, um, they're one of our oldest customers. They struggled a ton with variants. So anyone in the shoe industry knows like, Shoe sizes, so many of them, and just, you know, difficult to manage all of those different variants. So we were able to help them forecast ahead of time, make sure that they had the right sizes, the right styles, the right color waves in stock, and really help them, you know, go from massively overstocking to having a lean, but, you know, still not stocking out inventory position. Um, So that
1: really helped them save a ton of money, like thousands and thousands of dollars. Does that work directly then with their e-commerce platform? How how does it work with the company's existing e-commerce platform?
0: So we integrate with platforms like Shopify, Magento, Spree, um, and we read in the sales data from there. Usually people are managing their purchase orders with their suppliers and manufacturers in Excel. So um, we actually import that into our system and have them manage it and fuse going forward. And then for the um, inventory on hand information, usually we're integrating with some sort of either WMS or OMS system. So some sort of order management or warehouse management software, usually owned by their third party logistics. So their three PL will have a system, and we'll integrate with that. So that's kind of the main sources of play, uh, you know integrations that we have. We also can integrate with accounting and ERP systems to help people with unit costing. So the the information flows seamlessly and they don't have to do double data entry.
1: So, yeah, that's that's how we work. <laughs> so, I, imagine I can imagine the pain point before working with you. I mean, what are they saying right now about their businesses after they've been able to implement this and and see the the benefit?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously time and pain is something that we help with, but I think the the thing that we hear the most from our customers is visibility. I'll pick another customer as an example, True Botanicals. You know, they have a lot because they're a skincare company and they use very, you know, very high end organic materials that they have to source themselves from raw materials. They have to manage all of those raw materials, whether it's the oil or the the glass bottles are the packaging and they have to assemble the inventory in special, you know, facilities like filling facilities and then they have to get it to their warehouse so there's a lot of steps in the process. Um, and they have to track each step. They have to make sure they have enough raw materials so that production isn't delayed. And then once production is over, have to make sure it gets to the warehouse in time so they can fulfill it to the customer. So, you know, each step of that process before in Excel, it was very difficult to have that visibility. But now with Fuse, they can actually see like, how much raw materials am I missing? How much do I need to get to the filler? And you know how many glass bottles need to be frosted? Things like that. Um, and it's very, very important for these brands to have that full visibility into their supply chain.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what other markets, um, I know retail has been a, a big area. What are other markets that you're looking to get into or or currently targeting?
0: You know, we serve a wide range of customers. We have everything from drink companies to home goods, to skincare, to apparel. I think that, you know, we have been targeting a wide range already. I would say that right now we serve mostly brands. So brands that are working with their manufacturers, we don't really serve marketplaces that well. And so I think that could be an interesting area of expansion, uh, marketplaces that do buy from these brands, but we're really focused on making sure that these brands can manage their
1: inventory. And especially now, I mean, I I wanted to talk about your biggest challenges today, but I can imagine that with, you know, just from COVID uh, companies that, you know, how many companies or brands are going out of business or shutting down stores? And on the flip side, how many other brands are realizing that they have to have an e-commerce channel. And in doing that, working with you would be critical.
0: Yes. I mean, a lot of times, you know, with these, I call them more traditional brands. The reason why they haven't established a strong e-commerce channel is, you know, inventory. Like they have trouble managing omnichannel channel inventory. Their current systems aren't built for that. Um, and it's so crucial, especially at a time like now to have a strong online presence and, you know, what we've seen is that companies that relied too heavily on retail stores, they're definitely hurting. Um, landlords have been very hesitant to give them a break on their leases. And, you know, it just doesn't drive the same demand to help offset their costs. Uh, most of our brands happen to be digitally native brands. We have a couple that are also very strong at wholesale. But luckily for them, you know, Target, Walmart, those those companies have stayed open. So those brands have been mostly doing okay. Um, So a lot of our customers, they're doing fine, but I think it really goes to show that that's because they really adapted to modern technology, modern times, um, and were able to adapt very quickly to the pandemic. Um, And what we saw, you know, we are a forecasting and planning system was that for some companies, they had to constantly adjust their forecast um, some of them actually ended up hitting their Q2 goals very quickly. Um, some of them even hit their yearly goals in Q2, Q3 alone. Wow. <laughs> so they were like scrambling to get more inventory. Um, and then other brands, you know, they had to readjust to the new reality. And you know, for a lot of those brands, if they're nimble, they were able to release new products and to push product releases up that were a little bit more relevant to current times. So as an example, like if you're an apparel brand, like a lot of the apparel brands have pushed up their um, product launches around like loungewear, things like that, Um, and then maybe pushed back some outerwear or (laughs) footwear launches (laughs) just to adapt to the modern times. We had one of our brands, Wheezy Towels, they make really high quality towels. They, they pushed up their um, bathrobe launch and they did, did really well. Um, and so I think having a flexible system that gives you that visibility, allows you to tap quickly to change. That is really what's going to drive success for a lot of brands going forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also the, the old ways of the, the old guard of doing business, you know, based on seasonal launches, it seems like that's gone.
0: Yes, you know, it was already kind of on its way out, but I think this was kind of like the nail in the coffin. Like people are realizing that, you know, that's it made sense in the old days where you planned a year in advance for your showcase collection and then you debuted it on the runway and then it came, you know, on a launch date. But (laughs) nowadays, (laughs) nowadays, people are just releasing products when it makes sense to. And that you know, that brings eyeballs to their website that, that turns into conversion <laughs> and a checkout. When you look at the brands are doing really well. I mean, I think J.Crew and Madewell are like a classic example where J. Crew was like seasonal collections, like let's plan one year in advance and Madewell just releases whatever they think is
1: hot at the moment. And um, they're doing great. <laughs> right. And J.Crew is hot. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um... So what what about you? What What are your biggest challenges with views today?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, one of the biggest challenges is being an underfunded company as a female founded company. You know, it was really difficult for us to raise money. I think people look at us and, Bridget and I look very young. I at least look like I'm in my 20s. Bridget looks like she's probably in high school. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have so much experience for someone so young. And I'm like, well, I'm a little older than you think. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, you know, it was really difficult to raise money and we're in supply chain, which is, you know, sometimes quite male dominated. And I had really great experiences in supply chain because I had all these great female mentors, but they really taught me how to navigate that. And I, you know, I look at our competitors, they've got less products, less customers sometimes, and they raised like millions of dollars more than us. And I think what I could do, you know, how many engineers I could hire with that money. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing fine. We've got loyal customers, we've got a wonderful team. And so I'm really grateful for where we are. And you know, I think the biggest challenge is always just making sure that you know you're balancing you know having sales, you're balancing your product development, you're balancing hiring enough people, but not you know, not too many. Yeah. Not too many. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, we've had to be very frugal as a, a venture back tech startup, but I think it's it's actually done us a service actually, you know, when the pandemic hit, so many people were, were, you know, raising the warning bells, investors were telling their companies to cut headcount. And I looked at our team and I said, okay, where do you want me to cut? And our investor was like, I think you're going to be the first company that has nowhere to cut. (laughs) I was like, correct. So we're just going to keep
1: (laughs) (laughs) That That is a good thing. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you didn't have to cut. So let's talk about, I always like to ask our guests, what's the best advice that you ever got and how did it change you? And and it doesn't have to be advice that you took, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really good advice floating out there. I think it's what you end up doing with the advice that matters. I think for me, I think if I had to talk about one, it would be the advice that I got from one of our investors. And he is an amazing mentor to us. And he told me, you know, be 10% more assertive than you think is the maximum assertiveness. But still be polite. <laughs> so, um, you know, being able to have very thick skin, put yourself out there and face rejection, you know, I think when you think about, you know, what's the worst that can happen, they say no, right? And just being assertive, being a little bit more confident in that way, but still being polite. <laughs> I think that has been something that I've worked on a ton and something that I think is really useful, you know, especially for women like whether they are founders or just you know trying to manage their careers, you know work their way up the ladder. A lot of times even with my own peers and you know these are women that went to Stanford and have amazing degrees and great experience and they're hesitant to ask for raises or promotions and um, you know I tell them I tell them this exact same advice. I'm like be 10% more assertive than what you think is maximum assertiveness
1: and be polite. <laughs> I love it. I love it because you no, know, for women especially, it you know assertive translates into aggressive, and yeah, and that's just not there. And and I think that in an earlier conversation we also talked about. I know you you loved uh, Steve Jobs' commencement address, that famous address where he talked about how you never know how the dots will connect, and and you can only find out looking back. You can't unfortunately find out looking forward. <laughs> Yes, hindsight is always
0: 2020. You know, starting out my career, I started off as a software developer, and while I loved my job, you know, I just felt that I couldn't do it forever, um, and that's why I started doing supply chain. And I had to start from scratch. You know, I took. A massive pay cut. My salary went down to a third of what it was. Um, I started as an intern packing packages in the warehouse, and then worked my way up to you know managing fulfillment. Then I helped with production. Then I helped with sourcing and pro- you know procurement. And then I went up to forecasting and planning and the financial planning side. So, you know, I I really love learning, and I think that in any career you can find if you can find opportunities to learn, that's really what continues to make something interesting and exciting. You know, with Fuse running my own company in the SaaS space, you know, I've ran a company in the consumer product space, but SaaS is different and I learn a ton every day. Um, and that's what really keeps me energetic and motivated and you know, now there's this, like, I can say like, wow, I really like connected the dots in my career and it all led up to this moment. But if you ask me when I was 22, recently graduated, did I think this is what I would be doing? Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> I have no idea. Of course not. Yeah.
0: I was still considering that journalism career <laughs> I'm and documenting the front lines. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which I'm glad your mom is, is happy that you didn't. do. <laughs> She's happy that I'm safe in Los Angeles right now. Of course, of course, and and I love that you said that too. And one of the the best pieces of advice I got early on was remain teachable, and success will follow. And that's what I'm hearing from you is remain teachable. But I also hear humility and respect and assertiveness.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think everything is a balance. You know, you have to be confident, but you can't be arrogant. And I think that you know, retaining that learning mentality is what really helps you maintain, you know, that being grounded, I think, like your feet are grounded, because you know, how much you don't know. But at the same time, like, if you really use a learning mindset, you know what you know. Um, And so you can be assertive on the things that you do know. And I think that is where true confidence comes from. It's not from, you know, making up stuff on the fly. It's from knowing you your, you know, your business, knowing your space really well, and being able to assert those facts, assert your learnings in a very confident way. So
1: yeah, it's, it's a balance. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that you've been in all of these jobs in all these areas, so you've worked in all the different spots and are able to put Fuse Inventory in place to really address the challenges in each area. Yeah. I mean, I
0: think that it's really important for, you know, founders and for employees to, to always pursue their passions. I'm still, I always do a bunch of like side gigs, whether it's a hobby or a side job just to learn, you know, I think that you can learn a lot of really important skills just doing random things that are learning based. (laughs) I've done all sorts of side things. Like when I was in law school, I helped out a trademark attorney file, a bunch of trademark, you know, licenses.
1: And now that's relevant to Fuse. (laughs) Yeah. It comes back. It helps you in other ways. That's wonderful. Lastly, I really, I'd love to ask my guests this question, which is if you could have one superpower, Rachel, What would it be? Uh, My superpower would be to fly. To fly? Um,
0: Yes. I love nature. I love the beach. I love mountains. I I just, I love cities too. And I would love to be able to fly and see everything from an aerial view. Also, my favorite type of animals are birds. Though, ironically, my favorite bird is the kiwi bird. So it is a flightless bird in New Zealand. (laughs) Why Why the kiwi bird? maybe because it's like me like it wants to fly but it it can't (laughs) and it's just extremely cute the kiwi fruit is actually named after the kiwi bird yes it is a fascinating fascinating species of bird and you know it's i think flying with just feeling the wind in your hair like i think it would just be so
1: much fun that's great and and how would your, how would your team describe you? How would they, if, if somebody said to them, so what is Rachel like? What <laughs> would you, what them. would you want them to say?
0: <laughs> you know, I hope that I operate with integrity and with compassion. You know, as a leader, that's what I strive for. You know, I strive to be fair to all parties to really make win-win situations. So I hope that's how they would describe me, but you can ask them yourselves. They're, they're a pretty honest team. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great, thank you. And look, thanks for spending the time with us. And I and I hope we get to uh, an opportunity to loop back with you in in uh, let's say six months time and hear how you're doing and maybe what other side projects you're working on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, right now it's knitting a baby blanket for one of my
0: team members who's who's going to be expecting later this year. So I'm so excited for her.
1: Oh, oh that's great. And, <laughs> and maybe you can get her some of those diapers.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually have some already stocked up in my cabinets, So I'm just going to
1: send those over. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Oh, all right. Well, we, we are at the end of the show. And, and Rachel, thanks again for sharing your journey and just your excellent insights. Yes. And thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. Great. Thank you. And uh, for more information about Rachel and Fuse Inventory, where would you like them to go, Rachel? Uh,
0: Yes, that would be fuseinventory.com. That's F-U-S-E inventory.com.
1: Okay. And we encourage you go up, take a look, learn more about Rachel and her team. So we, we look forward to our next show. Our listeners out there, stay tuned for more great stories with amazing women like Rachel Liao.
0: Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's
1: whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.